When I say the word frugal, what comes to mind? Do you think of your penny-pitching sibling? Or your coupon-cutting aunt? Your coworker that always brings their lunch? The reality is, frugal means something different to everyone. Frugality is a spectrum, and I believe it can be extremely beneficial to live your 20s with a healthy amount of frugality, split rent with roommates, shop at value-based stores, Avoid overspending on luxuries like new cars or fancy clothes. Winning these battles early on can pay dividends, literally and metaphorically, down the road. But frugality can go too far. Your 20s aren't a time to deprive yourself of everything at the expense of saving money. So, how do we find that balance? What are some signs that we've gone too far? And what can we be doing now so that we don't have to worry about frugality so much in the future? Joel Larsgaard, co-host of How to Money, will be answering those questions today. Joel is a recovering frugalite. After experiencing his parents go bankrupt when he was 12, he vowed not to let money impact him in the same way. In his 20s, he worked two jobs, used his bike as a primary source of transportation, and scoured the internet for the best deals. As Joel entered his 30s, he realized he might have taken frugality a little too far. At times, Being frugal tested his relationship with his wife and had him making short-sighted decisions that might be considered cheap versus frugal. Joel will admit that he does not have it all figured out now, but I can tell that he's found a much healthier balance today. He still loves riding his bike, but works less and isn't afraid to spend money on quality items he loves. I enjoyed my conversation with Joel because I can see myself following in his footsteps. I often get lost in the bigger picture of financial independence. FI is not a number, but instead flexibility to reimagine what life could look like. If you're ready to experience what life could look like, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the craft beer lover and co-host of How to Money, Joel Larsgaard. You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? If you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. Well, let's get into the topic at hand, Joel. I'm stoked. And this conversation might feel like we're playing devil's advocate. We want to talk about frugality and we're both, we both think frugality is cool. Like we, we think it's, it's useful in many contexts and we're going to share and probably make a case for frugality early on here. But then I also want to play devil's advocate with ourselves too, and, and talk about where frugality has gone too far and we'll weave in both ideas and tactics, but also I think a lot of your personal story because I feel like you are a recovering, what do you call that? Like frugalite or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of your early childhood has probably impacted some of those. So I, I'm curious, once again, from the psychology piece, but also a little bit of the tactical piece. So let's start with uh, a case for frugality. And you guys had, uh, you and Matt from How to Money had a episode way back when, actually back when it was Poor Not Poor, I believe episode 28, where you called it Frugality Gives You Options. Can you make a case for frugality using kind of that episode and what you guys talked about as a frame of reference? Sure. I mean, I think 
the the average person doesn't struggle with being too frugal. The average person struggles with spending too much of their money and everything in our society is kind of pulling you in that direction, right? TikTok shop now is available wherever Crazy. you scroll on social media. Instagram, every third or fourth post is is essentially trying to get you to to buy something. And these are the places that Americans spend so much of their time. So I, I guess frugality, we could all stand to, or most people could stand to incorporate more frugality into their lives, kind of pushing back against these consumeristic tendencies that grab a hold of us. It makes me think of the Stanley water bottle trend that's so hot right now. It's and crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And it's a water bottle, you know, the, a, a 40 something dollar water bottle. And I was on Facebook the other day, Facebook Marketplace, looking for something to buy used. And there are people trying to flip Stanley water bottles that cost 35 or $40 or whatever they cost for like $180. And it's yeah. just insane. It's gone. It's gone crazy. And those are the kind of things, though, that I think it's really easy for us as humans to fall into a trap of like, well, my neighbor bought this. This is the cool thing. I should hop on it. But it leads us down this path. This the And there are so many ways that things can get out of hand now with buy now, pay later. Mm-hmm. Talk to so many folks who, you know, it seemed like this really insignificant, ah, minor thing to pay for your jeans or whatever in four installments. And now they're using it regularly and they're in a cycle that it's hard to break. And so I think the case for frugality is it gives, it truly does give you options. The more you're able to grow the gap between what you bring in and what you spend, the more money you have in your possession and the more you're able to funnel into investments because you're able to curb your spending a little bit over time, the the more that gap grows and the more you're able to save, you just have more options at your disposal. I just got an email from a listener and he said, my wife hates her job. What do we do? Like, it's terrible. She's supposed to come back into the office four days a week and the way they're treating her is ridiculous. And But they're hyper frugal. They have options. She can get out of that position. She can totally get a part-time job even closer to home that doesn't suck. And I think without frugality, most people are stuck at a job that they hate because they don't have options because they haven't done much of any saving. And Matt did a really great job in that episode too. And he said, replace options with the word goals. Mm. And I think that maybe even gives it better clarity on what we're trying to state here with this case for frugality. With frugality and the, the example that you just shared there, if you weren't frugal in that situation and you were living paycheck to paycheck, your options are very limited. Yeah. You have to stay in that job probably and maybe simultaneously try to find and land another job, but you're stuck in that job until that job, another job or another source of income replaces that. Frugal people, that might not necessarily be the case for them. They are probably good savers that that come along with it and they can probably reduce their expenses so that they can elongate the time that they can spend maybe being out of work and looking for another job. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if you get laid off too, think about that. Granted, we've got incredibly low unemployment, not many uh, layoffs happening right now, but if we enter into a cycle where there's more layoffs, one, stats show that work uh, people who work from home full-time are going to be the first ones to get axed. So you have to be even more careful about building up savings if you're full-time work from home with your mm-hmm. employer. It's kind of that out of sight, out of mind thing. But really then the other thing you need to consider is how much do you have on savings so that you can actually not have to take the first job offer that comes along. I've had friends who lost their job and you know it's a job that pays less. It's not really going to help them out in their career. 
and they wish they had a few more months to do more interviewing and find something that was going to make sense and help them continue on the trajectory they're going on, but they don't have that time because they don't have the cash reserves to back them up. And so I think frugality can give you like peace of mind, but it can also give you time in order to ensure that you don't have to take that first crappy thing that doesn't pay as well that comes into your life. But for a whole lot of folks, when you look at the stats, more than 50% of Americans don't have a thousand bucks in savings. And that is just, it's hard for me to fathom. It's, it's really hard to live on the financial precipice like that. It adds a lot of stress to your life on a weekly, monthly, daily basis. But then it also, if another shoe drops and it puts you in an even more precarious position, well, you don't have the financial wherewithal to make a different choice. You have to take it the, the next job that comes along because you know those bills are due on the first of the month. So I, I think frugality, adding to that savings gives you not only tamps down the stress levels in your life, but then when, yeah, you're forced with some sort of difficult choice, you have the cash to back you up. And, and one of the other things we've talked about too on the show is this thing called a bare bones budget. And that is something where you don't have to be live your most hyper frugal lifestyle. I think some frugality is important now, but then having this bare bones budget, which is essentially like, how far could I reduce my spending in a month if something negative were to happen to me? It's a nice thing to have in reserve and to be able to implement if, God forbid, you did lose your job and you're like, okay, cool. Well, I can cut all this streaming. I can cut all the eating out. I can cut this and this too. And then it allows me to stretch those dollars that I've saved even further. Let's put some definitions because I think frugality can get a bad rap in this area because sometimes it gets confused with being cheap. And you guys mm -hmm. have a reoccurring segment that's frugal or cheap and you guys kind of put out these ideas or these situations and you guys decide, is that frugal or is that cheap? But just in terms of definitions, how would you delineate what is cheap versus what is frugal? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you're right. I think sometimes those two terms get blurred. And so people are like, frugal? I'm not doing that like that. That that just feels so antithetical to being able to enjoy a, a nice human existence in you know one of the richest countries in the history of the world, if probably the richest country in the history of the world. So frugality feels like something that's like, well, that's antiquated. That's what that's what my you know great grandparents had to do in the Great Depression. I don't need to do that now. Um, but that's why we're living on the financial precipice is because we don't have any of that discipline. But yes, um, frugality and and cheapness. I think of them as two different things. I think of being cheap typically as making a decision to protect your finances that harm somebody else. So for mm -hmm. instance, it's like, I want to go out to eat, but I'm going to uh, tip in a paltry manner that hurts the server, but I'm going to do what I want, you know, even if the impact on the person who's you know serving me, is, you know, is negative. So it's, it's typically, or it, it, this can even be in a relational context with a spouse or a, a roommate or something like that, right? Where you're like, Hey, it's, and I think it's particularly in like a spouse sort of relationship where you don't think about them being able to spend money in a way that matters to them. You're not having those conversations and it's all about like, no, 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 we're going to save every dollar possible and that, that can have a negative impact on your relationship over time. And even early on in my marriage, like I found <laughs> I was so like penny pinching so tight and I really wanted to kind of reach higher stages of financial independence more quickly. And didn't communicate about it very well with my wife and didn't allow her some of the freedom that she that she really needed. And so that was something that over the years we really had to come to grips with and I had to learn a lot about too. And we had to grow together. And it was mostly me who had to change on that front. Yeah. How did you guys uh, compromise in that area? Because it seemed like you would do a lot of 
like she would want to buy something and then you would need to do kind of the final buying review and make sure you can't find that somewhere cheaper. Did you give on that a little bit? Did you put a dollar number to it? Did you guys just have the conversation and understand, hey, when I'm making a big decision and I feel like you might be able to find a better deal for me, cool. But also if I want to buy something and this is what I want to buy, I'm probably going to buy this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's exactly how it kind of shook out was essentially where on big ticket items, we said, this is a conversation we have to have the two of us. And you know, I do have kind of an unnatural ability to um, shop and find discounts. Uh, and so like, let's use that to our advantage. But also if we, if, if there are small dollar amount items that you want to buy, like one, I just need to be okay with it and trust you um, and know that my wife, <laughs> just because she wants to buy something, she's not intentionally trying to harm our finances. She's trying to enjoy <laughs> life as well. And so I think that's how I took it uh, at times. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but wait, no, that money could have been saved or invested. But I also didn't apply the same scrutiny to my own purchases at times. And so that, that's part of it too. It's really easy to be like, well, I needed that or whatever and not give the same kind of room to your spouse to do this, to do the same, to have that that flexibility, that freedom. So yeah, it was definitely a lot of discussions and a lot of growing up, but now we have, I just don't really question her spending and we have enough in, in savings where if you know, we overspend a little bit in a given month, like it doesn't freak me out like it used to as well. So part of it is building up a bigger financial buffer. And part of that is having more trust in your spouse and, and having kind of open lines of communication. Let's keep you in in twenty something Joel framework. I oh. am so curious to to hear about some tips and strategies for embracing frugality, especially early on in your twenties. And I think a lot of twenty somethings are are, are kind of down for this. You know, we come out of college and we were already probably living on a shoestring budget then, and kind of okay with hand me down clothes or freebies on marketplace, random things yeah. like furnish our house, stuff like that. And I think we could continue to embrace frugality throughout our mid to, to late 20s, if, if we had some some context and, and direction. Can you think of some some tips and strategies that you use to, to find great deals or to keep your expenses low, especially knowing that coming out of college, you're making $24,000 a year? Like, I just can't <laughs> fathom. How do you make that work, man? Uh, so, yeah. so what did you do? So yeah, for, uh, Joel in his 20s was, was weird and uh, <laughs> goofy and, and you know, very much trying to save as much as possible on a on a shoestring salary. And I think you have to be willing to think outside the box when it comes to saving money. And I, I think there's a lot of discussion about avocado toast or coffee out and mm -hmm. kind of annoys me after a while on the personal finance front because it's not the $4 coffee typically, unless this is something you do 31 days of the month, right? Then it adds up, right? Um, but for the most part, it's that's not what's breaking your budget. It's the bigger line items that are really throwing you for a loop, specifically transportation and housing, right? And if you can get those things under control, then you're going to feel the freedom to be able to spend in some of those other ways that matter to you. And I want you to curb back in maybe some of those ways too, but let's think about those two topics for just a second. Driving a car that doesn't cost much money is going to save you a ridiculous amount of money. I, I it was I remember even talking with a friend at one point. I was going to buy a really really cheap new car because I've been driving beaters my whole life, and I finally had a real job. And you know what? It was time for me to upgrade. And he was like, <laughs> you know what? If you just continue doing what you're doing, though, you're going to reach greater levels of financial freedom so much more quickly. And he was right. He was right. And I'm so glad that I listened to that advice because I ended up buying like a a, a Nissan Altima for thirty two hundred bucks. 
It lasted me for like six or seven years. It was a great car. Granted, it's harder to find a car for 3,200 bucks now, but let's let's double that. Let's say 6,400 bucks is your, you, you can buy a good good functioning car in that price range. But most people think either new or gently used. And part of what's great about those real, those much older cars that are still in great condition, get it checked out by a mechanic, of course, before <laughs> you make the purchase. But it, it's it's how much money you're saving on the vehicle. You're You're not experiencing the same depreciation every single year. It's how much you're able to save on taxes and insurance for that car. I mean, it, the numbers go on. It's not just the price tag. It's not just 25 grand versus 6,400 bucks. It's all the other ancillary costs that come along with it. So really consider and think long and hard about that. And if it's just point A to point B transportation for you, if that's how you can think of cars, it's going to save you a lot of money. On the home front, more roommates, the better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I lived, I lived in a two bedroom um, apartment with uh, two roommates. And so I was in Whoa. one room, another buddy in the other room, another buddy living in the living room. Uh, and, <laughs> and then when I bought my first house, I love the concept of house hacking. And this is something that specifically in, in earlier years can have a dramatic impact on your ability to save money because it's reducing your housing costs. And that is when I bought a house, it was a, a, a two bedroom house. I rented out the other bedroom and that helped curb the costs, uh, my monthly costs for putting a roof over my head. And, and house hacking, there are people who have written books on it. There are, uh, there's a lot of information out there, but the dramatic impact that that can have on reducing your monthly bills and turning kind of what is your biggest cost center typically in your budget into potentially revenue generation <laughs> by renting out a part of your home. There's a guy, uh, Craig Kurlop, who wrote the book on it. Incredible the lengths he went to, literally living in his own living room while kind of boarding house style renting out all the, all the other rooms. And so you can get you can get real funky and real crazy. And like I said, think outside the box. The more you're willing to kind of lean in hard on that, some people are going to think you're weird, but ultimately it's going to save you so much money and bring you greater levels of financial freedom so much more quickly that it's going to be worth it. Reminds me of what my friend Doc G says, front load the sacrifice. There's something yeah. about those early 20s where you, like, I don't want to stay in a hostel now when I go to Europe, but when I was 23, bring it on, you know? And, and there's something about our ability to be flexible and to be okay with kind of weirder, shittier living conditions. That once you turn forty, like I am this year, like you just <laughs> you don't feel comfortable making those trade offs in the same way. So, I mean, I'm still weird, and I still like to keep things frugal whenever I can. But it's just so much easier in your twenties to deal with some of that, and then it gives you just greater flexibility down the line. Yeah, let's lean into that a little bit more. And I, I love that Doc G said that front load the sacrifice because I, I really do think that's a lot of core concept of, of this podcast. You know, do the things right now, make the sacrifices now. You won't have to make them in the future or, you know, you'll really be happy or thankful that you did do them now versus having to do them in, in the future. Kind of looking back at your life, turning 40 this year, where do you feel like you took frugality too far? Where at in your journey did you realize the returns of frugality are kind of diminishing. Like I'm not getting what I should out of frugality anymore. It's actually crippling my life versus adding to with the goal of accelerating my my investments and, and finances. Now this is just, it's far outweighing what I want to do on that side. Yeah, I think if you go too far down the frugal rabbit hole, you're like frugality is your hammer and, and everything's a nail. And so you just yeah. think frugality fixes everything. I think there are real downsides to kind of going all the way down the frugality rabbit hole, oftentimes it prevents people from doing other things to increase their income. Maybe to funnel money instead of into a retirement account 
into starting that business because, oh, it's a little riskier. But that business could be something that generates significant income for you in the coming years. But you're not willing to take the risk, maybe. The frugal person, I, I feel like the, typically the person who is hyper frugal is more risk averse. It could be that you, that you save more money then you invest. Like you're just a little too nervous about investing more of your money. And so you keep too much in cash. I think the frugal person, that's a risk that they run. There are just many ways where you can just overdo frugality, refusing to think about investing in yourself, whether that's paying money for a course that's going to make you more valuable at work, help you advance in your career. So many ways that, that I think early on, frugality was a really helpful part of me being able to save and grow that gap. But there's other ways to grow the gap too, right? And and part of that is to yeah, increase your value to in the marketplace. And you need to think about that as well. And I think sometimes people who land in the hyper frugal spectrum miss out on kind of some of those other areas that are also really important. Yeah, you guys, you and Matt used the analogy, the, the tightening the belt analogy, and you can only tighten your belt so much before you start suffocating yourself, before yeah. you cut off your legs, things like that. And I do think that's that's right and correct. I don't how would you go about though making sure that you are taking opportunity with your money, but at the same time you're prudently managing your finances as well. Cause it's one thing for for it's easy for us to say, you know, go take a risk and, you know, take all your savings out and dump that into starting a business or go all in on something that you really believe in. I, I think psychologically and, and actually probably prudently that that's probably not as easy of a decision. So how do you think about that? Do you allocate a certain amount of or a certain percentage of your dollars to to some of these opportunities or yeah. how do you kind of think through that that situation or decision making? When we're talking about taking a risk, I think you want to take both sides of it. You want to be willing to take a risk, but you also want to ensure that you're not overspending to take that risk. And it, uh, it makes me think of a guy named Alan Donegan who talks about starting businesses. And he highlights all the ways in which you can start a business for free. And so I think you want to get creative. And sometimes frugality leads to maybe that the creative spark that otherwise, if you just toss money at it, that's not the most effective way to proceed. And also it's going to maybe amp up the risk spectrum in a way that you don't need to, right? So if let's say you even have $10,000 to start a business. Well, it's probably a really good idea to say, how can I start it for a thousand bucks? Is there a way that I can do this much cheaper? And yet still, and maybe even, maybe even find a way in this to pre-sell items that I'm creating, like get a proof of concept. And then instead of like sinking all 10,000 bucks into creating all the widgets you're selling or whatever, say, I'm going to show people what I'm making but I'm not going to produce them all yet. I'm going to wait for the orders to come in. I'm going to wait to get the funding essentially from my customers as I'm finding those customers. Then I will start to, to create the widget that then I'm delivering to them. So I think sometimes that frugality can give you that creative spark. It can funnel you to think about things a little outside the box instead of just tossing cash at it. But then it's also really important to say, well, there are some businesses that require more cash. Yeah. And it's even okay sometimes to borrow money in order to help fulfill this dream and in order to help get this business off the ground. And in that case, you just have to be careful about you know the terms of the debt and you have to be thoughtful about how much risk you're taking on. There was another caller that we had to the show recently. She and a business partner started this new venture 
and it's going really well, they just don't get paid anything yet, right? They will at some point, but it's going to take a minute. And her spouse had a day job and then he lost his day job. But they, I would say they made a calculated risk that made sense because she was going into this endeavor where she knew she wasn't going to get paid anything for a couple of years. And he was kind of the breadwinner bringing home the regular paycheck so that she could do that. So it was thoughtful. It's not like they went in and did something crazy without really planning things out. You just can't plan or you can't avoid the worst case scenario. They still had a lot of cash and savings too. So that was going to help help them in case of, you know, in case of the worst case happening. But yeah, so think along those lines. How can I mitigate some of this risk? How can I be frugal in this new endeavor, but also be willing to to funnel some cash and to put a lot of effort into the thing that you're starting up? Yeah, I love that idea. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And it could be a delayed approach too. Like maybe you know you want to spend 10000 on the business and you're going to allow yourself to spend 1000 now. And if you see it through and it's still going successfully three months later, you give yourself another $3,000. And then if six months in, you're still at it, you give yourself another portion of that money. So maybe there's some some goal setting and rewards that are kind of a part of the process. Because yeah. once again, the last thing I want someone to do is is hear us talk about going all in or taking chances or taking risk and they just spend the 10,000 right away and yep. they didn't really think through it or, or, or really see if it was a, a business need or a business case in that kind of situation. But I do love the fact that I honestly think frugality is what once once again back to our case for frugality. Frugality gives you that option to take more risks too. Hundred percent. Because being frugal, like the the caller that you had in there, she was probably prudent and frugal and saved money, and she could spend a year without getting paid and go take that risk. I'm even thinking about my own situation. I got to take a seven month sabbatical, and that was because I put aside a lot of money and I was very frugal. And, and prudent with the money that I was spending over time. And I wasn't happy in my career at that time. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had another option, which was just not work at all <laughs> because <laughs> I could, and I could afford to do it. Uh, and it's it's been great for that reason. So I do like how actually frugality might give you some options. And through that sabbatical, I launched a podcast and that's what you're listening to four years later. Yeah. And it's kind of cool that once again, I probably would have never pursued podcasting if I didn't start that sabbatical. I would have never taken that sabbatical if I wasn't frugal and saved my money. Yeah, if you if you had had a, a massive monthly payment because you bought a brand new Rivian SUV or something like that, mm -hmm. the sabbatical wouldn't have happened. The podcast wouldn't have happened. You're right. Like so, that's a choice that we all have to make. And at some point, I would like to own a Rivian SUV. They're incredibly <laughs> expensive. Um, and so, even though at this point I could afford it, I still don't care enough. And I'm going to wait until it's a drop in the bucket of my net worth to buy the Rivian SUV that I want. So I'm 40, I'm thinking like, all right, I'll buy a used Rivian SUV when I'm like 45 or something like that. It's the <laughs> the ability to kind of say, okay, this is something I do want, but the order of operations matters. And if mm -hmm. and the earlier I pull that consumption up into my life, the, the fewer options I'm gonna have. If I can delay that consumption just a couple of years, two, three, four years, and say, that's something I want, I want the expensive vacation, or I do want the nicer car, or we do want to upgrade our house. It's not that you can't or shouldn't ever do those things. It's just if you can punt on them for a little while, it allows you the ability to maybe save up more instead of that 5% down payment on the house. 
save up for a few more years. Now you've got a 20% down payment. Now you're not pay, paying PMI. And granted, I know a lot of people say, well, if I just bought in 2019, and that's true. You never know if the market's going to take off on you like that. That's yeah. not something we could have predicted. But the more you can save up to to kind of allow yourself that lower monthly payment then perpetually for a lot of years to come. That's Those are the kind of moves that really do make a difference. And I think not that's not talked about enough. It's like, great, you want this thing? It's probably worth it. But can you wait yeah. two years and just increase your savings, increase your investments, increase your net worth? And then that thing feels like a much easier swing down the line. Yeah. I, the biggest thing I took away from that answer that you just told me was the order of operations. And I was even thinking about that in our thread about starting a business. And yeah, it might be great. And it might be an awesome idea to invest in yourself in this business concept that you have. But there might be some some things that you want to do prior to that, like fund an emergency fund. Yeah. Like that might be the big one or pay off high interest uh, debt. Like maybe it, it is a great idea for you to take a chance and invest some money into a business or a side hustle or into real estate or something like that. But there might be a couple of other things that you want to handle or take care of prior to that that will allow you to not put so much financial stress whenever yeah. you do make the decision to go ahead and invest in yourself or invest in a business. Then all of a sudden, you it truly is an investment and not a choice between burying yourself further into financial stress because you have high interest debt and you're living paycheck to paycheck or on credit cards or something like that. And everything you read about financial stress just makes you want to avoid it completely. And even <laughs> frugality doesn't guarantee that you never encounter financial stress, right? And especially in in the society we live in with the way healthcare works and stuff like that, a, a, a medical bill that comes out of left field could completely sideswipe your finances. So I'm not saying that it's even frugality is like this all-encompassing silver bullet, but it sure does help most folks relieve financial stress. There's something about, I think, people being in, in serious amounts of debt. There was a study that said that it lowered their IQ by something like 12 points. It's like you're walking around life a little bit dumber which is going to mm -hmm. impact your career, which is going to impact your relationships, which is going to impact your mental health and your your sense of self and your just general happiness levels. It's amazing how our money impacts everything. And it's not, my thing is money is not the end all be all. It's not this goal to get the most numbers in your 401k necessarily, right? It's about allowing you to live a healthy, happy life and realizing that money is a tool to be able to help you achieve great things. But for, yeah, when, when you think about that, who wants to walk around with that, that cloud hanging over their head, it's like pig pen and peanuts or whatever, you know, that like it, that yeah. filthy cloud hanging around it. That's kind of what, what poor money habits do to us. And then, yeah, then we aren't free to say, oh no, I'm, I'm ready. I, I really want to start this business, but you're not financially ready to do it. You might be mentally prepared, but you've got to do some, some financial work on your end first. It makes me think of like friends who want to be missionaries. Interestingly enough, they can't go to the mission field until they like paid off their debt. So they say, I feel, I feel really like this is the the next step for me. But the missions agency says, sorry, like you've got to do this, this, and this first because you've dug yourself in such a financial hole. Or other places where like a job you might apply for, and it, like for uh, let's say it's like a top secret government job or something. Like that. They're looking at your credit score. They're looking at your debt obligations. Could anyone bribe you or something like that because you've got this, the, the you know these unsecured debts hanging out in your life or something like that? You might not get the job because of your financial habits. And so those might be two odd examples, but it's it's. I just think there's a lot of truth to the fact that that stress reduction that comes with like some slightly better frugal habits 
is going to be more beneficial to you than whatever it is you might buy or want to buy today. Joel, let's start putting a, a, a bow on this conversation and, and kind of come to this conclusion with how do we embrace frugality without going overboard? And a concept, a principle that you guys talk a lot on your show is craft beer equivalent. So you and Matt on, on How to Money crack a beer, have a beer with each other on each and every episode. And not only is that because you guys enjoy craft beer and it's a great excuse for you guys to get together and drink a craft beer together, but because of this thing that you call the craft beer equivalent. So can you tell me a little bit about that principle and how someone might apply that to trying to find balance with frugality? Yeah, and, and drinking and giving financial advice is really smart, by the way. So um, yeah. <laughs> I like it, Joel. I like it. <laughs> we didn't think about the downsides of that when we started. Um, yeah, no, the craft beer equivalent is really kind of at the at the heart of the show in so many ways. And it is because, like I talked about earlier with uh, the people who want to shame you for getting an avocado toast or for getting a coffee at your local coffee shop, which I did this morning with my son, and it was a joyous uh, event. And he, it's his favorite thing in the week when we go to the coffee shop together. That's and cool. so you don't want to deprive yourself of those little joys in life. I think sometimes those releases can actually like help us stay the course on those on the bigger goals that we have. But the craft beer equivalent is essentially like, what is it that you love so much that moves the needle so much in your life where that spending has this massive positive impact for you that you're willing to spend more than most people think is reasonable in the here and now while you're also being wise and diligent and saving and investing for your future. And the thing is, you can't have 32 craft beer equivalents. <laughs> you you <laughs> can probably have a few, like we talk about having two or three, right? Having 32 would be overboard, but like what are those two or three things? And if you really are thoughtful, and we have a, something on howtomoney.com, a, a how to money mission statement, which we can link to in your show notes, where you can kind of walk through some really important questions that will help you decipher what's most important to you. And if you can come up with a, a couple of craft beer equivalents, for mine, what, craft beer is one, folk art, I really love art and it's untrained artists. And this is my thing. Like I, we went to my favorite folk art festival in the fall and dropped like, you know, folk art's actually pretty cheap, but still dropped like 700 bucks, man. Because like, this is something that we just kind of spend really intentionally on and, and cost be damned almost. Right. And so uh, what is that for you? Highlight those things in your life when, wh what is that for you, for your partner, for your family? And what are we going to spend on intentionally? And then think about all those other bills in your life. Well, how can mm -hmm. we dial back on that? Because that didn't really make the cut. And so it makes me think of something like your cell phone service or how much you pay for internet or streaming providers. Like, oh, well, maybe actually, now that I think about it, I actually want to spend more in these other areas that I've called out as important. So it, it makes it actually more exciting to, to dial back in the areas that don't matter as much. And to say, well, I'm paying 80 bucks a month for my cell phone service now, but I can just hop over to Mint Mobile and spend 15 bucks a month or something like that. And then it, it, it starts to make frugality actually more exciting, not because you're just like trying to pinch yourself and, and pull back to where it hurts, but because you're trying to be more intentional about your future saving and investing and also spending in the ways that move the needle and matter more than just, I think so many times we're just inertia bias. We're doing things because that's the way other people do it instead of like really honing in on what matters to us. And that's why money and personal finance is so much more than just math and numbers. It, mm -hmm. it is psychological and personal. And you have to delve into that realm and know yourself a little bit so you can kind of figure out what you feel comfortable spending more on and then where you feel comfortable like really dialing back the spending in a big way. I love that so much. And I think whenever people are thinking through their crappy equivalent, 
ideas are probably popping in their head. And I honestly think if you select two, maybe three of those categories and you allow yourself to spend in those categories kind of however you would like. I think Rumi Sethi has like the 10X rule, like pick that category yeah. and 10X it. Like imagine you spending 10 times as much as you're currently spending on going out to eat with your girlfriend. What would that look like? Would you try every five-star restaurant and driving distance? What would you do? And the, the, the possibilities and the, the opportunity is, is expansive. But with that, he says, you have to mercilessly cut on every other area and being yeah. very critical to, to your cell phone provider or to transportation costs or housing costs if that isn't your categories that you're selecting. And I think one other approach that could potentially be taken, especially for 20-something, is, is some kind of seasonal approach hmm. where maybe you do kind of go bare bones, you know, take your bare bones budget approach for a while and you dial in and, and you put your head down and you work hard and you make extra money and you try your best not to be spending money through a certain period. And then you allow yourself to, to enjoy a other certain period of your life. And I know you did this in your early 20s with your three-month road trip. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would love to conclude this conversation with uh, a joyful memory from that trip. So you were six months into your kind of radio career, yeah. interning with the Clark Howard Show, and you decided, you know, before I jump back in to the real world, I'm going to go take a three-month road trip. It seems crazy for someone that's as frugal as you. So the decision-making process would be interesting to pick through. But really, I just want to hear from what was a cool memory or experience that that still puts a smile on your face from that that trip? Yeah. Well, so I heard from my buddy Travis, who I did the road trip with the other day, and he, so we had bought this Honda Accord station wagon together for like three grand. So we drove that together and then he bought out the other half and, and it was his car after that. And then he sold it to somebody else on Facebook. That person reached out to him on Facebook and let him know, hey, guess what? This thing's got 300,000 miles on it now. Um, and so it was kind of <laughs> cool to see that that thing's still running, still serving somebody. And that's just amazing. Like, I, I don't even know how much he sold it to that guy before, for, but if we bought it for three grand and then he sold it for two grand and now that thing's still running that's it just makes me realize like how good those old hondas actually are but yeah so many good memories from that i was telling my kids about it the other day and it's really? it's <laughs> i wouldn't change it for the world like i don't remember how much money i spent we lit we slept in the station wagon or in our tents or with random people we met and uh but those were some of the best experiences. it was the serendipitous encounters with people it was the the meeting random folks it was seeing this entire country. Yeah, I think it was probably cheaper to do that uh, then, of course, because of inflation, but it's still something that really almost anybody can do if yeah. if maybe they dedicate themselves to Frigali for a little bit of time and then they're willing to be super frugal on the trip too. Like we were like cooking <laughs> rice on our on our own like, you know, camping <laughs> stove and stuff like that. Yeah, I met a bull rider named Chance. Um <laughs> like yeah, I mean, you can't make that up. So, just it was it was such a fun experience and it's one of those things where you also have to yeah you have to think about that too like what is it how am i funneling my money into the things that are going to give me those life experiences that really matter and i think sometimes if you are too strict of a frugalite maybe you're unwilling to take that leap and so you kind of that balance is so crucial and yet the the gray area the the pendulum in the in the center that's something that just like few people talk about because it doesn't make the headlines it's not as it's not as sexy, but that's really what I think most people want from their lives. Mm. Joel, bring us home. Uh, you got so much good insight, wisdom. You share awesome stories. And of course, you have great selections on on craft beer. Where can people find all of those things? Sure. Yeah, they can uh, go to howtomoney.com. We've got articles up there, lots of information for people who 
want to prefer the written word, you can always find the, the How to Money podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, the How to Money newsletter, I would suggest people sign up for that. Every Tuesday morning it comes out. It's chock full of good advice and encouragement to help you keep going with your personal finances, keep moving in the right direction. One more final question. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? That's a great question. So I, I'm probably not qualified to teach on anything, <laughs> maybe even personal finance, but I think I would really balance moderation and kind of lifestyle design is probably mm. what I would want to teach about because I think it is, we live in a, a culture of excess whether it's consumerism, whether it's workaholism, and balance is something that's hard hard to find. You don't hear many people um, highlighting their seven-month sabbatical yeah. um, or they're th- like ditching work as their career is just getting started to go on a three-month road trip. And I want that to, uh, to be more normal. Or people just saying, listen, I'm going to work 35 hours a week instead of the yeah. 50 You know that most of my friends, 50 plus that most of my friends work, so I can go on more hikes. <laughs> you know, uh, like, And so I, I think that's probably where I would focus. And I just think it applies to so many areas of our lives. It, it lives. it applies to finances, but it applies to how we spend our time and it applies to our relationships and taking care of the people around us. So that's that's probably the course I would I would want to teach. Cool. Once again, everybody, Joel Larsgaard, he's got a, a podcast with his best friend, Matt, called How to Money. Check it out on any of the podcast players. Joel, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks again, man. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, We have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.